In the beginning, there was God, and there was nothing else, and it was perfect. God has existed for all of eternity past in perfect relationship with himself, in need of nothing, wanting nothing, and lacking nothing. And could have existed that way for all of eternity. But he decided, as an act of grace and mercy, to create the heavens and the earth. And he formed and he filled the earth. And then he created humanity. The only part of his creation made in his own image. And for humanity, God sculpted a garden. He sculpted a room in his world that was just for us. And he welcomed us into his world, into a place that there was no need for us. There was no need for humanity. We didn't add anything to God by existing. He created us and he invited us into his world simply because he wanted us there. And in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we see God's big story begin with an act of divine hospitality. With every theme and every motif that we've seen so far through the series. It's been clear that any time that God acts or God reveals part of his character, it's expected that his people will respond. And that because his people are made in his image and called by his name, that we are charged with reflecting those characteristics that God himself reveals to us. And maybe the place where we see this most clearly is in the calling for God's people to be hospitable. And now as we look today at the big theme of hospitality, this is, this is what I mean when I say these words. We're going to look at the times in the story of the Old Testament where we see God's people admonished or called to or condemned for not sharing their homes and their possessions and their money welcoming the stranger into their home and into their lives and into the world and caring for the poor and the needy and the hungry and the broken that's what hospitality looks like inside of God's big story and in the old testament we see a god who welcomes strangers into his home into his story And because of that, he expects his people to do the same. And so this morning, we're going to see that God's big story is not only a story of deliverance, but one of hospitality. Where God not only, as we saw last week, sets his people free, but he gives them a place to find rest and a place to belong. And so let's answer that invitation this morning. By finding our rest and finding our place in God's word. Our passage this morning that's going to launch us into this is Jeremiah chapter 22, verses 3 through 5. It says, Thus says the Lord, Do justice and righteousness, and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed. And do no wrong or violence to the resident alien." 
the fatherless, and the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. For if you will indeed obey this word, then there shall enter into the gates of this house kings who sit on the throne of David, riding chariots and on horses, they and their servants and their people. But if you will not obey these words, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that this house shall become a desolation. May God add his blessing and his favor to the reading of his word. Thanks be to God for his word. Father God, as always, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. God, we also thank you for your hospitality. That when we were strangers, you welcomed us in. When we were poor and needy and and broken in spirit, you loved us enough to bring us into your home and to care for us and to love us as your own children. And God, we pray that you teach us to reflect that character in our own lives as well. That we would be a people, that we would be a church marked by hospitality. And then when we pick up your word, to read your word and to read your story, we would see it as a story of hospitality where you invite us in and invite us to participate in that hospitality as well. And that our hearts would be hearts that long to welcome the stranger and care for the broken. So speak to us this morning as we look through this broad picture of something so incredibly important. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we look at how beautiful hospitality is in Scripture, I think it's important that we see how God views the act of inhospitality. And recognize that inhospitality in itself for God's people is by nature sinful. In Jeremiah chapter 21, right before this passage that I just read, we see Jeremiah presenting the word of God, and it's not good. In Jeremiah 21, basically what we see is God, through Jeremiah, say, Hey guys, Nebuchadnezzar is coming. The king of Babylon is coming with his armies, and he's not leaving. This is not a battle you're going to win. Because not only is Nebuchadnezzar coming with his armies, but somebody else is fighting with him. In verse 4 of chapter 21, it says, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I will turn back the weapons of war that are in your hands, and with which you are fighting against the king of Babylon and against the Chaldeans who are besieging you against the walls, and I will bring them together into the midst of this city, and I myself will fight against you with outstretched hand and strong arm in anger and in fury and in great wrath. I will strike down the inhabitants of this city, both man and beast, They shall die of a great pestilence. God says, listen. The Babylonians are coming and they're not coming alone. Because I am fed up with you. And I am going to be fighting against you with your enemies. 
Now, this isn't the first time that we've seen God use that language of fighting alongside the enemies of of his own people. Especially early on with the book of Judges, we looked at that pattern of failure, and oftentimes God would turn his hand against the people. But every time it seemed very clear that God was going to, to deliver the people back out of that. Something about this feels different. When we look at the tone of the book of Jeremiah, when we look at the tone of the book of Lamentations, we almost see a death scene where Jeremiah acts as the coroner, checking the pulse of the people of God and realizing that they have become spiritually dead. And as we talked about last week, the book of Lam- or a couple weeks ago, the book of Lamentations is this book filled with elegies, with death songs, where the people are singing out to God out of their brokenness and out of the sorrow because they know, they realize that they've gone so far from who they're supposed to be. It just feels different. And what could have gotten so bad in the life of Israel? What could have happened that would cause God to stop listening to the worship of his people? What could have happened that got to the point where God was rejecting the fast of his own people that he called out of Egypt and into the promised land? What could be taking place that would cause God, to fight against Israel. Well, Ezekiel gives us a little insight into that in Ezekiel chapter 16. Starting in verse 46, the prophet Ezekiel says that your elder sister, talking to Israel, to the people of God, your elder sister is Samaria, who lived with her daughters to the north of you. And your younger sister who lived to the south of you is Sodom with her daughters. And not only did you walk in their ways and do according to their abominations within a very little time, you were more corrupt than they in all your ways. As I live, declares the Lord, your sister Sodom and her daughters have not done as you and your daughters have done. Now that's a big charge, right? Because Sodom is not a place that's looked on very favorably inside of Scripture. In fact, we see that the sin of Sodom had become so great that God had no other option but to wipe them off the planet. He didn't send another army in. He didn't even fight with another army against Sodom. God himself, from heaven, wiped Sodom clean. And he says, not only are you doing the same things that Sodom was doing that warranted their erasal from the planet, but you're worse. He says, in the short time that you've been around, you have become even worse than Sodom. And she was around for a long time before this happened. You've been here just a few generations and you've already let yourself go this far. And so we have to say, well, what is it that they're doing? And in Ezekiel 16, 49, he tells us. He says, behold, this was their guilt, the guilt of your sister Sodom. 
She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. They were haughty and did an abomination before me, so I removed them when I saw it. God says, do you want to know what Sodom did that was so egregious to me that I couldn't even look at them anymore? It didn't show hospitality. They had everything they needed and more, and yet had no sympathy or care or concern for those that had nothing. In Genesis chapter 19 and Judges 19, we see examples of that inhospitality in Sodom. Where in both of those instances, strangers came into the town and it was the desire of the men of Sodom to take them out and abuse them and shame them and cause these strangers to feel as unwelcomed and humiliated as they could possibly be. And God says, with all of the horrid, violent treatment of strangers in Sodom, you're doing far greater. He says, everything Sodom did was nothing compared to what you're doing now because you saw what they did and you saw what happened and now you're doing it and it's worse because you know better. I expect more from you. Not only should you be acting differently because you're my people, but you should be acting differently because you know how that feels. In Exodus and Leviticus, as the people of God are getting their instructions for who they're supposed to be on the other side of Egypt. In Exodus 23, it says, You shall not oppress a sojourner or a traveler. You know the heart of a sojourner, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Leviticus says, When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall do him no wrong. And you shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as a native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. God says, you know the heart of a stranger. You know what it feels like to be a foreigner in a strange land among a strange people and to be treated harshly and poorly and to be treated as something other than. And so don't you dare look at a stranger or a traveler and treat them any other way but as family because you know how that feels and you know how that hurts and you are not going to do the same thing to other people because I rescued you out. And you're not going to put other people in that same place. But the people had forgotten who they were. They had forgotten where they had come from and how they inherited the land and the riches that they now owned. And so God says, fine, if you want to act like Sodom, I'll treat you like Sodom. But if you're going to be my people, then act like I'm your God. 
because I took you in and made my home yours. You were strangers to me and I welcomed you and brought you and I came and found you when you were distant and far off and I loved you like my own children. And so you're going to do that exact same thing. If you want to be my people and receive all the benefits and blessings of being my people, then you need to start acting like it. In Isaiah chapter 58, I mentioned earlier that God had stopped receiving the fasts of the people. And through the prophet Isaiah, he says, you know, you guys are coming to me and you're asking me these questions. Isaiah 58, 1 through 14, starting in verse 3, actually. He says, this is what you're asking God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all the workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? The people say, God, we're fasting, and why don't you pay attention? Look at this awesome, humble thing that we're doing. We're, we're putting sackcloth on our bodies and ashes on our faces, and we're depriving ourselves from food for a whole day. God says, I want nothing to do with that. You fast seeking after your own pleasure, and while you're abstaining from food, you're oppressing the workers under you. God said, is this not the fast that I choose? Is this not the fast that I want? To loose the bonds of wickedness. To undo the straps of the yoke. To let the oppressed go free. And to break loose every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked, to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing spring up speedingly. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, pointing the finger and spreading wickedness. If you pour yourself out to the hungry and satisfy the desire of your afflicted, then shall your light rise and the darkness and gloom be as the noon day. God says, do you want to know what kind of fasting brings me honor, and makes me happy. It's not when you just withhold food from yourself to try to earn something from me, but it's when you take your own food and you share it with the hungry. When you reach out your hand and you lift up the oppressed and the broken, just like I did for you, that's the kind of fasting that I want to see. And that's why, even in the season of Lent in the church calendar. Fasting gets all the recognition, but in the season of Lent, it's not just a season of fasting, but it's a season of giving to those who are poor and broken and needy. 
It's not just withholding something from our own selves, but giving sacrificially to those who have need of enacting that hospitality. And God says, if you want this favor from me, then you better be giving it to other people as well. We saw that in Jeremiah chapter 22. God says, if you want to be restored to who you were, talking to these these Hebrew people about to go into exile, He says, if you want to find restoration, then here's what you do. Do justice and righteousness and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed and do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the fatherless and the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. If you want to be my people, act like your God. Treat others the way that I treat you. Turn away from the sin that's led you to this place and act like people who know what it's like to be strangers welcomed in to a family. True worship of God is reflected in hospitality and caring for those who are in need. In the big story of the Old Testament, we find that the hospitable God of the universe is completely intolerant when his people do not extend that same gift to others. You see, the opposite of hospitality is not simply inhospitality or rudeness, but it's sin, and it's an abomination before God. But in the same line of thought, if inhospitality is sin, then hospitality has to be seen as righteousness. In the book of Joshua, we find the story of Rahab. And Rahab is a Canaanite prostitute living in the land of Jericho, and some spies go into the city. And they find themselves at Rahab's house. And Rahab could have easily turned these men in. But instead, when word got around that that the people were beginning to look for these spies to, to arrest them and to take them into custody, Rahab risked her own life and welcomed the men into her house and hid them on her roof so that her life would be spared. She risked everything as an act of hospitality. And Rahab's story echoes not only through the Old Testament story, but all the way into the New Testament. And listen to what a couple of the New Testament writers say about Rahab, this Canaanite prostitute woman who risked everything to take God's people in through hospitality and bring about salvation for these spies. Hebrews 11.31 says that by faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. The writer of Hebrews says that her hospitality was counted to her as obedience. Which is strange because nobody told Rahab to do this. There's no indication that God came to Rahab in some kind of vision or or some kind of prophet spoke to them saying that she needed to do this. 
She did this seemingly of her own volition. But the writer of Hebrews says that her act of hospitality was counted to her as obedience and separated her from the disobedient people in Canaan. All because she gave a friendly welcome to the spies. In James 2.25, James says that in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. James seems to take it even one step further, saying not only was she counted as obedient because of what she did through her act of hospitality, but she was justified before God. A Canaanite prostitute, because of her act of hospitality, was able to stand in the midst of God's people, in the presence of God, as being made right in front of him. As being innocent in his presence because of her act of hospitality. Rahab was separated from the disobedient and justified before a holy God because she offered to these spies a hospitality that could have cost her her life. If neglecting the poor and the needy and living an inhospitable life is sinful, Practicing those godly traits are clearly seen as acts of righteousness. We see this other places inside of Scripture. In the book of Job, after finally hearing his friends talking so much, and finally believing into the idea that that his, his current situation must have come from some kind of sin in his life, Job starts pleading his case before God trying to make a case that he didn't deserve the lot that he found himself given. That he didn't deserve the scenario that he found himself in. And so he comes before God and he starts rattling off all these things that make him righteous. And one of the things that Job says, and to paraphrase this, he says, do you see any homeless people living around my house? You don't. Do you see any travelers sleeping on the street corner? You don't. Because when somebody is in need, and when someone has no place to go, and when someone feels lost and outcast, I welcome them in. And so Job is coming to God saying, look, here's an example of my righteousness and my goodness. I welcome in the stranger, and I care for those in need. In Proverbs 31, we see another picture of this. In this description of a righteous woman, we see all these amazing characteristics that Proverbs 31 lays out. But one that we don't hear talked about often comes in Proverbs 31, verse 20. It says that this woman who is righteous, that she opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hand To the needy. That part of what makes this woman a godly and righteous woman is the way that she cares for the oppressed and the poor and the needy in her society. We see very clearly that hospitality is inextricably linked in God's economy with righteousness. 
But one of the things that's also amazing that we see in God's big story about hospitality is that God is not neutral to hospitality. That when his people are hospitable, he doesn't just look at that and say, "Uh uh-huh, that's exactly what you should be doing. But God celebrates hospitality and God rewards hospitality. Think about these two stories with the prophets Elijah and Elisha. The first one comes in the book of 1 Kings, chapter 17. And God is talking to Elijah and he tells him to go inside this city. And there's a woman there who's gathering sticks. And God tells him to tell this widow, this woman gathering sticks, to feed him. And so Elijah sees this woman and he says to her, Hey, bring me a little water in a vessel that I can have something to drink. And so she goes and she gets it and she brings it. And he says, Oh, while you're doing that, uh, bring me something to eat. Very needy prophet. And then she responds with possibly the strangest and saddest sentence uttered inside of Scripture. Verse 12 said, I don't want to paraphrase this. I want you to hear the exact phrase here. She says, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. Now I'm gathering a couple sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, (laughs) that we may eat it and die. (laughs) That's a sad thing. I'm not sure Elijah maybe expected that. I feel like he must have at least thought, God, this is, are you sure this is the one I'm supposed to talk to? So here you have this widow who has nothing. Widows being some of the most, vulnerable people in the ancient world. And Elijah says, hey, come over here. I need you to make me some bread. And she says, oh, sir, I have nothing baked. I just have a little little oil, and I've got a little flour. And I don't make bread. I don't know if that's enough to make bread or not. It doesn't seem like very spectacular bread. My wife makes bread, and I feel like more ingredients go into her bread than goes into that. And so this is not going to be a very extravagant meal. And so she says, I'm going to whip up some of this very awful bread with flour and with oil, and I'm going to get some sticks, and I'm going to make a fire, and I'm going to cook it, and my son and I, we're going to eat it together, and then we're going to lie down and we're going to pass away because we have nothing else to eat. And then Elijah's response is even weirder because this story is bizarre. He says, do not fear. Well, I'm going to die, so I don't know if I'm particularly afraid. I'm just, you know, going to die. He says, do not fear. Go and do as you have said. Go make your weird uh, flour and oil bread. And before you do that, before you and your son eat it and die, make a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterwards, make something for yourself and your son. (laughs) What? I can't imagine what's going through her head. Because here she just tells Elijah this very sad story about her last bread with her son, and they're going to eat it, and they're going to die. And he says, that's a... Sad story, but before you do that, can I have some? (laughs) And she did. 
He says, listen, if you do this, then God is going to reward you and God is going to bless you. And she trusted in that and she went and she took the last thing that she had and she made some for Elijah and then some for herself. And her jar never ran empty and her flower did not run out because of her hospitality. It says that she and her household ate for many days because God celebrated her hospitality. A similar story happened in 2 Kings with Elisha, Elijah's predecessor, or excuse me, Elijah's padwan, protege, follow-up. And Elijah begins staying in this house of this woman who urged him to come in. It started with her and her family just feeding him. But then it started to get to the point where she realized that this was a very holy man, a very good man. And so she and her husband began to welcome him into their house to stay. And they made a room in their house for this prophet to stay and to live. And God celebrated their hospitality and rewarded them for it. All through the Old Testament, we see a God who not only models hospitality and expects the same from his people, but he delights in and reward those who practice hospitality. God loves hospitable people. And all through the biblical narrative, both Old Testament and New Testament, the righteousness of God's people is directly tied to how they welcome strangers and care for the poor and needy. See, one day Jesus would be talking to his followers. And he'd say, one day you're going to hear me tell you how good of a job you've done. And you're going to receive a reward. Because when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. And when I was naked, you gave me clothes. And when I was sick, you came and visited me. And when I was in prison, you cared for me. And the people said, what are you talking about? When did we miss all of this? You were never in prison. You were never hungry. We've been with you the whole time. Are you losing your mind? And Jesus says to them, whatever you do to the least of these, you have done it to me. That when you are hospitable and when you care for those in need and when you love people who feel unloved, we're doing all of that to Christ and for Christ. Our hospitality is inextricably linked with our righteousness. And I might say, why is this such a big thing? Why is hospitality so important to God? Yes, he created the world and welcomed us into it. And yes, the people of Israel knew what it was like to be strangers, but this just seems so heavy. Why is it such a big deal to God? And the answer seems to be because God's entire plan of redemption God's entire plan of salvation revealed to us in the big story of the Old and New Testament is an act of hospitality. The gospel tells us of Jesus who came into the world to be rejected and ostracized and hated and killed so that we could be welcomed into God's family. 
that Jesus came into an inhospitable world and bore all of that on his shoulders as he went to the cross and laid in a borrowed tomb. But then through the resurrection gave us the ability, we who were once strangers and foreigners from God because of our sin, to be welcomed into God's family and called his sons and daughters. And now God looks at us and he doesn't just say, you know what it's like to be a stranger because of Egypt. He says, you know what it's like to be a stranger from me. Because of your sin, because of your doing, because of what you accomplished in your life, you separated yourself from me, and yet I loved you so much that I endured inhospitality, that I endured oppression and harshness, that I became needy and broken for you so that you didn't have to be, and so that you could come and belong in my home. That's why it's such a big deal for God's people to act hospitably. Because we are reflecting the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our God is a hospitable God who not only created a place for us in his world, but through Christ made a place for us in his family. God has invited us into his story. And we should feel at home and welcomed inside of God's story. When we open the pages of Scripture, we should be reminded that God has welcomed us in and allowed us to partake in everything that He is accomplishing in this world and that He has saved us by grace. And then when we know the hospitality of God's salvation as we're called sons and daughters of God, as we feel welcomed and at home in God's story, we need to put it to practice in our lives and to realize that because God loved us when we were strangers, we should go and do the same for others.